Now then, if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 1 following. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, and a great multitude was following him because they were seeing signs. That's John's word for miracle. A miracle and a sign are the same thing in the Gospel of John. We're seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they? For so many people. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. Jesus therefore took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. And they gathered them up, and they filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is of a truth, the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, therefore, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. And it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. When, therefore, they had rowed about three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. And he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. They were willing, therefore, to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Amen. May God bless to our hearts an understanding of this part of his word. The reading of the 5,000 is uh, really, I guess, next to the resurrection of Lazarus, one of the most incredible miracles that Jesus performed. And he did this as a great sign of his messiahship, and he did it in an unusual way. All of these people had come together, and Andrew, uh, who is always described as Simon Peter's brother, that's the only way you can identify Andrew, he is Saint What's-His-Name. And uh, so if you ever feel like you're playing second fiddle, uh, remember Andrew, 
and play it well. Uh, uh, Andrew didn't mind that. He was Simon Peter's brother, and that's what he was referred to. Uh, Andrew uh, was one of those who had evidently made friends with a little boy. He was one of those who went like Clyde the other night to hear the uh, young people recite their catechism, and, and Steve and other of our elders who have done this. Uh, they took time with the children, uh, and we need to take time with our children. And Andrew had made friends with this little boy. And uh, when Jesus looked at this enormous multitude in John 6 that were coming to him, Jesus lifting up his eyes, seeing a great multitude, that means myriads of people. If you could imagine a great stadium full of people, a lot of stadiums going to be empty today, but if you could imagine a great stadium full of people, uh, here are huge crowds of people, and uh, they were coming to Jesus. Uh, and uh, Jesus uh, said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread that these may eat? And Philip flipped out his little sonny calculator, and he tried to figure out how he would do this. He really didn't do that. But uh, he said 200 denarii would not be bread enough uh, to suffice for them so that everyone could take just a little. He was a good treasurer, and he tried to figure it out. Uh, and uh, he was a good deacon or whatever, and he was trying to figure out how much money it would cost to feed that crowd, and he knew that th that was impossible. And not only impossible, but where in the world would you find uh, probably 15,000 people, counting the women and children, were there? That's a pretty good crowd. I don't know anyone around here that could feed that many. Uh, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to them, there is a lad here. Now, that's the key word. There is a lad here. Uh, they, the little lad was there. We saw the children that were here this morning, the young people that were here. And when you see them, you think about what they can do and what they can be for the Lord. Last night I wrote down, there is a lad here. And what remarkable possibilities are locked up in that expression. And how we would really work and provide the most wholesome Christian teaching for our children if we only believed and knew what God could do with the lad or the lassie that's here, a 16-year-old bumbling boy from the farm working in a shoe store is approached by a Sunday school teacher who is nervous. He wants to ask the 16-year-old to become a Christian and he can't hardly get up enough nerve to go into the place where he is working, but finally does. And the 16-year-old walks back in the back because he's embarrassed to talk about religion in the front of the store. And he's wrapping up some boots. And Edward Kimball says to him, How is it with your soul, young man? What is your relationship to Christ? And the young man knows that he has no real relationship to Christ and he is under conviction. And Edward Kimball says, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he wants to come into your heart. And a big transaction took place in that shoe store. And that young boy had such a reputation that the session of that 
church would not take him except on probation as a member. And his name was Dwight Lyman Moody. He became the most famous evangelist of another generation and one of the most famous of all time. He put one hand on the United Kingdom and one hand on America, and he drew both of the great uh, nations closer to Christ. I can remember when I was a student at New College in Edinburgh in Scotland, I used to walk right past the statue of John Knox every day to go into Thomas F. Torrance's uh, theology class. And Dr. Torrance was one of those learned uh, men who could be silent in about six languages. And uh, uh, Dr. Torrance and I were discussing one day after class, uh, we were talking, and I thought, you know, someone so sophisticated as Tom Torrance wouldn't have any use for Dwight L. Moody. And to my utter astonishment, he suggested to me that I might like to do a Ph.D. on Dwight L. Moody. Here this learned man from Basel and from Tübingen and from all the universities in Scotland, the greatest theologian that they had, was saying to me that that 16-year-old that had been converted back there in the back of a shoe store and had come into a church on probation and worked his way through the Sunday school class, had so come to Scotland and preached in a hundred towns that he turned Scotland toward Christ. Oh, there are many examples of the people whose lives that he touched. One of them was Care Hardy, the founder of the British Labor Party, back in the days when labor was horribly exploited in that country. Another was a man by the name of Henry Drummond, who didn't even finish his divinity degree, who went after Moody and followed him wherever he went and became a great winner of souls himself to a faith in Jesus Christ. Those of you who saw the, the motion picture about Eric Little uh, saw many people who were influenced through that great uh, movement of the Spirit of God through that lad that was converted that day in the back of the shoe store and who was led into a Sunday school class. And then became, he was called Crazy Moody in Chicago because he went out on the streets and rounded up children and brought them to Sunday school. And do you know who attended his Sunday school class one Sunday when he had more children than we have people in this auditorium right here today? The president-elect of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, walked into D.L. Moody's incredible Sunday school class. They called him Crazy Moody because he went after the children and he won them to the Lord. Take Edward Payson Hammond. I think about these people because I, I worked there at New College and I used to ride the bus and go out to where Edward Payson Hammond, uh, who was a young American studying at New College, all the Presbyterians worship with their faces toward Edinburgh. And uh, so uh, Edward Payson Hammond had gone from Maryland over there to get his Scottish accent. And uh, uh, he had gone out to speak one Sunday, and he noticed that the little children were so stiff and formal, and he designed a special service for children. And it became the Children's Special Service Mission, which also became Scripture Union. You've got a little sample of it in your bulletin this morning, a wonderful uh, devotional guide, which has as its sole purpose to encourage people in the reading, uh, devotional reading of the Bible. Well, you know how Edward, pa who Edward Payson Hammond, he was speaking, 
And the little boy, nine years old, who heard him talk on the cross and broke into tears and said he wanted to give all of his life to Jesus was Henry Drummond. And then Moody, that other American, came along and touched him too. And you see what happens there. And then I think of a a 17-year-old down at Charlotte when a hellfire and brimstone preacher by the name of Mordecai Ham preached. How would you like to go hear a preacher named Mordecai? Mordecai Ham preached. And a skinny 17-year-old who was famous for driving a convertible down the sidewalk named Billy Graham got converted. And the whole world has heard about that conversion. When I was 17, I got tied up at Lynn, with Lyndon Johnson, and look what happened to me. Uh, uh, you see, Mordecai M. would have been a better choice. Uh, <laughs> I remember also another lad who was told by a judge when he had stolen something that his punishment to keep him out of jail would be to go to Sunday school in Indiana. I believe it was Hammond, Indiana. He went there to Sunday school and really liked it. But some of the good people in the church decided that they didn't want the riffraff from the judge's courtroom in their Sunday school class, and they got word to him and hurt his feelings terribly. And he went out of the Sunday school class, and he never came back again. And I one day looked at a death mask of him in the FBI museum in, in Washington, D.C., and I saw John Dillinger, who had been shot dead in Chicago, almost across the street from McCormick Theological Seminary, because someone, someone didn't want to take time with Sunday school. So... Our Christian education needs are great, and the opportunities are great, and what we can do with them can be great for the Lord. There is a lad here. The exaggerated poverty, what is, but, but what, uh, this little boy who has five uh, barley loaves, the bread of the poor, and two pickled fish, a little dried pickled fish, but what are these among so many? Uh, but little is much. If God is in it, we've seen that illustrated from the lives of these people. Think about that other boy who sat on the balcony on the cold day in, in, in January, who was also 16. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was converted to Christ. Many people. You see the possibilities that are locked up in these lives? Jesus had the people sat down, the miracle uh, of God capsuling all of the time of growing takes place, and they are fed. We just heard beautifully uh, played on the violin by Estelle and by the bell choir and the others, Ferris, Lord Jesus, ruler, ruler of all nature. And that means he's ruler of the growing process too. He's ruler over these things. And here he performs a miracle and that multitude is fed. And then the interesting thing is that he wants uh, no fragments wasted. Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up, and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. When we think of the hungry people in the world today, 
this should be a text that is preached on more often, and we ought to do what we can to feed the hungry of the world and to help them. Jesus certainly wants us to do that. And then uh, uh, the people recognize in him the sign of a great prophet, and he is faced almost, almost with the same sort of temptation that the devil faced him with when he told him to turn the stones into bread and the whole world would follow him because the people came and they wanted to make him king. But they wanted to make him king because they had had their full of bread, their fill of bread and fishes, and they wanted him for that reason. And Jesus wanted us to know that it is important to feed hungry bodies. It is important, but that the most important thing for which he came was to present them with the fact that this world will pass away, and where will we spend eternity? that he has become our Savior, not just the bread man. He is the Savior to save us from our sins. And they wanted to take him by force and make him king. And so he got away from them. And he went alone into the mountains to pray. And a lot of people could be kept away from temptations to which they succumb if they would be willing to go alone into the mountains to pray. One of the other accounts of this particular events tell us that Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a boat and to go to the other side of the lake of Galilee to go to Capernaum. But while he was praying, now when the evening came, his disciples came down to the sea, and after getting into the boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum, and it had already become dark, and Jesus had not come to them. He had sent them there. And the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. All of us are faced with storms in life, and here comes a storm. They have obeyed him, and yet in the face of their obedience, a, stor a storm comes to them. Jonah got into trouble because he disobeyed God, and God sent a storm to him because he was disobedient. But here these people have been obedient to the Son of God, and yet a storm comes to test them. A storm comes to test them. And the sea began to stir it up, and the strong wind was blowing. And when, therefore, they had rowed about three or four miles, we read in one of the other accounts that, that Jesus saw them laboring trying to row their boat in this tremendous storm. And this makes us know that Jesus does see us in our plight in the storm. And then they saw Jesus. We used to have a, a lovely black uh, girl here, one of our students, who used to sing, Here Comes Jesus, Walking on the Water. And I'd love to hear her sing that song. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. Right in the midst of their greatest fear, right in the midst of their hardest work, when they are tempted to think that they are forgotten, the Savior is praying for them. He knows when you're without a job. He knows when you have been unfairly dealt with. He knows when you're pushed by the madness of despair. I talked to a man on Monday whose 
face was dripping with tears because he did not want to live anymore. His wife and children were gone. There was nothing he could do about it. A deep Christian who wanted to know, does God care? And I wanted him to know that God does care and that he is with him in that darkest moment that he has ever faced in all of his life and that he loves him and that he will be with him. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. And behold, Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near to the boat. They were frightened. They were frightened, and he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And so they received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This to me is a marvelous thing. You see what God has accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ in his lordship over all nature. God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We have seen a picture here. Uh, one of my favorite preachers was Dr. McFerrin Crow, And he used to try to point out many things from art and music that were a great help. And I thought of this because I remember once going into the Louvre in Paris and looking at the painting of the Mona Lisa. And that's a remarkable painting to look at. It was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. And Leonardo was born in 1452 near Imboli, which is near Florence in Italy. He died in 1519. He was the son of a lawyer in Florence. He was an Italian painter, sculptor, architect, musician, engineer, and philosopher, one of the great geniuses of all time. He was uh, handsome. He was cultured. He had great natural charm. He had limitless intellectual curiosity. And on we could go. Volumes have been written about Leonardo. But scarcely anyone knows anything about the Mona Lisa or who she was. Do you know who she was? She was the wife of Zenobi in a little town from a little town near Naples. And that's all that we know about her. We look at the picture, but we don't think about the wife of Zenobi who lived near Naples. We think about the one who created that painting, Leonardo. Now look at that picture again, a multitude hungry and needing to be fed. And look beyond it at the power of God in meeting those needs. And looking, look at those disciples of Jesus on that storm-tossed sea and know that Jesus can speak to those waves and calm them into the wind and cause it to hush and that immediately they can be at shore because what you have is the creator who is beyond that. We look at the picture and we know that he is the object of our attention. And that's why in the other accounts of this same miracle that took place, when they 
had reached the other side at Capernaum, the disciples almost, you could almost feel them quivering as they said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey his voice? Well, the wind and the sea still obey his voice, and the hungry of the world need to be fed, and the troubles of the world need to be met, and God has put us here for the purpose of bearing a testimony to him. We can bear that testimony in meeting these problems if we're willing to go to the Creator and ask him for his guidance and his blessing. That bread problem, that budget problem that Philip brought up, but God will do it through a little boy or a little girl yielded to him who's willing to work for his glory and to live for his purposes whom he tests through obedience he has the power to deal with every situation that comes to us and the special needs that we have today he can deal with let us bow in prayer O god our heavenly father out of the goodness of thy great heart for people, give us grace to know thy Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and knowing him to understand ourselves and our responsibilities. Out of thy fatherly kindness towards us and all men, help us to accept the blessings of the earth with grateful hearts and the blessings of heaven in true faith, casting all our fears and cares upon thee in the sure knowledge that thou dost care for us. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and guide, be and abide with us all now and forevermore.